Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Here's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to put your big boy and big girl pants on tonight. Because we're going to James, which is a big boy book. And we're going to chapter 4, which is a big boy chapter. And if you get your feelings hurt, then do something about it. Not, not do something to me about it. Do something to make an adjustment. I, I'm going to remember what my mom said. I told my mom one time, Mom, I'm just, I just don't know why God has put this anointing on my life to teach hard truth and to challenge and stretch people because people don't want to be stretched. It's uncomfortable to be stretched, and other preachers get congratulated and told how awesome their sermons are, and people leave mad at me uh, because I tell them the truth. And, and Paul asked his friends, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And my mom said, son, keep stepping on my toes because if my feet are pointed in the wrong direction, I need you to kick them back in the right direction. And hopefully we got some type of wisdom and wise people like that here tonight because we're going to do some foot kicking tonight. In James chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want to talk to you tonight from a Bible study titled, How to Get What You Want from God. Say, get it. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. God, I thank you for every testimony given tonight. We praise you as the God who can. We praise you as the God who's more than able and more than enough. And we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do by faith. God, I pray that now you'd speak to us from your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. How to get what you want from God. I want you guys to know that God wants you to have stuff. He just doesn't want stuff to have you. Some people think that money is the root of all evil, and the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And you can love money as a poor person just as easily as you can love money as a middle-class person or a rich person. That doesn't matter how much you've got in your checkbook. You can be materialistic and broke. You can love money and be broke. You can love money and be rich. God, though, I told you, has shown himself to us in the scripture as a father. He's revealed himself to us as a good father. And a good father wants to bless his children. God wants to bless us. Now remember, James is talking to believers. The book of James identifies itself in verse 1 as a book written to Christians who are scattered throughout the earth. Chapter 2 begins by saying, my brethren, which indicates talking to Christians. Chapter 3 indicates my brethren. It's still talking to Christians as we flow into chapter 4. It's still talking to Christians. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, James says, 
what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Now, you know I'm always going to talk about inference because you can't just read the Bible, gloss over it, and expect to get a lot from it. You have to think. Say think. You have to slow your reading down. You have to take it in bite-sized pieces so you can digest what the Word is saying because Jesus said that this is food for our inner man. So it's not just about chewing it and swallowing it. It's about getting good use and nourishment out of it. So you have to slow it down. You have to pay attention to the punctuation. The Bible says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Question mark. Now, if James tells Christians or asks Christians a question, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? We can infer from that question that something is going on among these Christians that they are having what? Quarrels and fights. Backbiting. They're, they're, they're arguing and at war and at conflict with each other. Do you know as long as you live, there's going to be conflict? As long as you live, there's going to be haters. Jesus said, marvel not when the world hates you. They hated me first. There's always going to be conflict, especially when you try to do right. You see, people can go on television and sell a certain brand of Christianity. And it sells big. And people give money to it. It sells over big. The brand of Christianity that says, come to Jesus and all your troubles will go away. Mail me $100 and I'm going to pray God's going to give you 1000 back. See, that type of selling hype and selling hope is working in the world today. And you can pack stadiums on bad theology. But you can't sell real Christianity. Because nobody would want to buy it. Nobody would want to buy a, a real theology version that says, come to Jesus and your trouble might increase. Come to Jesus and people might turn against you. Come to Jesus and you might lose friends. Get more serious about your relationship with Christ and life's going to get harder. See, people don't want to buy that, but that's what the truth is. And if, if you've been saved for any length of time and ever grown at all, you understand that. And there's going to be quarreling and there's going to be fights. And they don't come from the devil. We looked at last week in chapter 1 how people always want to blame. Well, Pastor, the devil's just messing with my marriage. Nah, you're bad enough. He, he don't know you yet. He, he, he's busy messing with real Christians, you know, some, somewhere out in Africa raising the dead. He, he, there's only one devil, say one. Everybody's convinced the devil's messing with their finances. There's only one devil. But it's us that is our biggest enemy more times than not and the scripture says these fights and quarrels don't they come from the evil desires at war within you let's talk about what's inferred in this question james asked them that don't don't these quarrels and fights come from the evil desires at war within you now if he says that question what does that infer is within us evil desires it Talking to Christians. So the first thing, even as we saw last week in chapter 1, we're still seeing it in chapter 4, that we have to understand that even Christians have conflict and even Christians have evil desires inside them. Quit being shocked when somebody, oh, I thought they were saved. Well, they, they, they may be, but it doesn't mean that they're not jacked up. It doesn't mean that they don't have issues, and it doesn't mean that they don't have evil desires. Well, no, not me. And I've had people leave the church and say, I just don't believe that Christians have evil desires on the inside of them. Well, all they need to do is read the Bible and quit being mad at the preacher. Okay? So first thing we got to do is we need to understand that all your troubles don't go away when you come to Christ. 
and that just because someone is mad at you doesn't mean that they're not a Christian. They may be, they may not be. There's other ways to find out. Verse 2 says, you want what you don't have, comma, you want. Who's James talking to? Christians. This is Christians who want what they don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. Who's doing the scheming and the killing here, Christians or non-Christians? This is who the Bible is talking to. So we need to understand that just getting saved ain't going to fix all your problems. And just getting saved is not going to fix all of your friends or your family members' problems. They're still going to be scheming, still going to be hating, still going to be conflicting. It goes on to say you, talking to Christians, are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Jealousy is a booger bear. And you need to check how jealous you are of what other people have. Now, see, there, there's not everybody can't say what James said, and some people question what he said. Not James in the Bible, James Gandhi in the orange shirt. Everybody can't say what he said during testimony time. And even as he said it out of his mouth, there'd be people in the room that would question it when he said money don't matter to us. So everybody can't say that. And even him saying it, there some people thinking, well, I don't know about that. Well, Here's what the Bible says. There are people that are jealous inside the body of Christ that want what others have. And there are people that don't. And we need to determine, are we walking in jealousy or are we walking in contentment? See, the man God used to write half the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, said that he's learned uh, whatever phrase, phase of life he's in, how to be content. He said, I've, I've had a lot of money and I've been broke, but I was content rich and I'm content poor. I've been on top and I've been on the bottom, he said, and, and I'm content either way. See, it, like I told you, it doesn't matter how much money's in your checking account. That's not going to make you content, and that's not going to decide whether or not you're jealous or materialistic. That's an issue of the heart. And God doesn't want us to be jealous of other people. See, when you are jealous of other people, verse 2 says you want and you don't have it, and you're jealous of what others have. People who are jealous of what others have don't have what they want you got to deal with the issues that are inside you and stop worrying about other people. Well, I just don't know why my cousin is so blessed and they don't even love the Lord. Stop worrying about your cousin. So that's the same problem the disciples had when, they, when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. And he told Peter, when Peter said, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus said, well, you're going to deny me first, but you are going to follow me to a cross. You are going to die really soon the same way I'm going to die and then Peter didn't like that, so he said, well, what about this dude over here, the one that's always leaning on your chest, your best friend John, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, don't worry about what happened to him. You deal with you and let me deal with him. And Jesus is still the same today. Stop worrying about what's happened to other people. Stop worrying about what's going on in the life of believers or unbelievers. Just concentrate on you and your issues. Now, people say cutesy little cliches that if you're pointing at somebody else, you got four fingers pointing back at you, when really you don't. You only got three fingers pointing back at you and a thumb going some kind of direction. But if you are so busy concentrating on other people, you will not be concentrating on you. And I want you to understand that whatever distracts you in your life from being what God wants you to be is something the enemy is using against you. And so many times the distraction that happens to people inside the church is they're looking at others. Because when you're focused on other people, God's not working on you. When you're justifying everything in your life by, well, they do this, I'm not as bad as them, my cousin, my brother, my husband, my wife, when, and people do that 
and use preachers as an example. Listen, preachers are not the standard Jesus is. Don't elevate people who preach and teach. The Bible doesn't say, uh, be ye holy and preachers be ye holier. Holiness is a command on everybody that calls the name of Christ. Jesus is our standard. Don't look at it and say, well, the pastor does so-and-so. Listen, I know churches where the pastor is stealing money and sleeping with half the choir. And, and churches of note, churches on TV, churches where you know the names of these people. Don't, don't think just because churches are having success that, that it's all that. Those are not our standard. Jesus is our standard. The one person the Bible says to keep our eyes firmly fixed on is Jesus Christ. Stop letting the devil distract you by focusing on if you're as good as the next person. If you're doing better than so-and-so. Because the scripture says when we compare ourselves to ourselves, we become unwise. One, one translation says we become foolish. We need to check ourselves. And when we are scheming and conflicting and jealous of what others have, we put ourselves in this war-waging mode, whether we know it or whether we don't. Well, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not killing anybody uh, to get what they have. Well, you're probably killing them with your mouth. The Bible says when you talk bad about somebody, you're killing them. If you think it, you've done it, the Scripture says. So we got to make sure that we're not focused on other people. If you don't hear anything I say tonight, hear this. Stop focusing on other people, what they have, how good or how bad they are, and focus on you and what God is doing in your life. Because we all have such a short time frame on this earth. You ought to want all that God has for you in this life, and you got to be busy about getting it now because there is no reset button. There is no do-over in life. This isn't a trial run. This is the real thing. And so many people, I was talking to Dina. We, we've talked about it before. I know that right now at 52 years old, I don't feel as grown as my parents were at 21. I, feel, I still feel like I'm a kid. I'm still waiting on real life. You know, I'm, I still have a lot of growing up to do. It's just me, anybody else. Y'all don't want to be honest. Listen, y'all, y'all, need, y'all need to learn how to. I know Deacon Jimmy's in that mix. He's still 13, well, 18, maybe 19. But we need to get busy about being adults. We need to get busy about living life. We need to get busy about realizing this is the only now that I have. And what's happening to most people is we got our eyes on other people. We're jealous of what others have. We're, we're, we're scheming and waging war to, to get stuff. And the last sentence says, but you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, the title of tonight's Bible study is how to get what you want from God. How to get what you want from God. Now, based on the last sentence, I want you to understand the Bible. And this is, this is Bible study, so you got to engage your mind. This has to be interactive for us tonight. Don't just listen to me, but get involved. How to get what you want from God. This verse says you don't have what you want from God because you don't ask God for it. Now, you tell me based on what this sentence says, how do you get what you want from God? you got to ask God for it. Well, it's not that simple. Because the scripture goes on to say in verse 3, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. So it's not just about asking for it. There, there's more. Say more. more. See, verse 2 tells us that you don't have what you want from God because you don't ask for it. Verse 3 tells us even when you ask, you still don't get it because your motives are all wrong. So there's asking and there's motives. And it goes on to say, you want only what will give you pleasure. This is the ultimate sign of immaturity. 
Now, there are, the Bible divides Christians into, into three categories. There are kids, young men, and fathers. And there are very few fathers, the Bible says. There are very few adults in Christ. Most of us are kids. And the Bible talks about two different classifications of Christians, carnal and spiritual. And most Christians are carnal. Very few are spiritual. And that's why Paul had to tell the Christians in Corinth, I fed you with milk and not with meat because you're carnal. Well, he still feed them because they were saved, but they were still on milk because they weren't ready for the deeper things. Why? Because they wanted what they want. They wanted what would give them pleasure. See, this is the ultimate sign of immaturity. Do you know what a two-year-old wants? His way all the time. Three-year-olds especially. I don't know why they say terrible twos. Three-year-olds are worse than two-year-olds. But because they, they can scream louder and, they, and they, they understand more. And they can explain to you more stuff. But they want what they want. It's a personal agenda. And when they don't get what they want, they take their ball and go play somewhere else. This is why people leave churches. Now, see, I've told you for years, I don't care how many people quit church, quit this church, just don't quit Jesus. Now, if you quit this church and you go get plugged in in another church faithfully serving God, that's awesome. But the problem is most people don't leave one church and go jump to another church and faithfully plug in and get to serving God. They lay out in bitterness and gossip and hate for too long. But we've got to make sure that we don't only want what will give you pleasure. See, this is Christians want the wrong stuff. It's, it's almost like asking kindergartners in an elementary school to set the menu for the week. Do you think they would set out a nutritious menu for the week? It's pizza and ice cream. Well, not in Clay County. I don't think they do pizza in Clay County. My kids look forward to uh, Italian dunkers. I don't even know what an Italian dunker is, but that's their version of junk food in Clay County. It's got to be the worst food of the week because my kids look forward to getting it. But Kids want stuff that gives them pleasure. Kids want food that tickles their taste buds. Church members want theology that tickles their ears. Y'all not listening to me. Here's the thing. Mature people understand every now and then you got to mix in a salad. Mature people understand every now and then broccoli is better than candy. Mature Christians understand every now and then that being stretched beyond your comfort zone is good for you because it might create some growth in you. Keon's working with our youth tonight, or I'd have him back me up. Y'all know I'm right all the time anyway. Uh, that's why God, no, that's not why he called me to preach. But Keon is a physical trainer. We got a lot of nurses. We were just talking in staff meeting about how many nurses we've got in, in church. Uh, I, I see at least two. How many nurses we got in the room right now? We got uh, three uh, in the room right now. We got just a ton of nurses, but they, they're not as, you know, into the thing that Keon's into as far as building people up physically. Do you know how you make your muscles get bigger? You tear them down. You work them to the point of tearing them down so when they grow back together, they'll be bigger and stronger. Well, that's the natural. Jesus taught first natural, then spiritual. And the way you get your spirituality bigger and stronger is you got to get stretched beyond your comfort zone. You got to get strained beyond your comfort zone. Well, I don't want to go back to that church anymore because pastor's always convicting me. 
I've had people tell me, Pastor Scott, uh, I'm a member. I see people, and they're like, oh, Pastor Scott. I'll be like, hey, where are you going to church now? Abundant life, mostly. But, you know, I can't. I, that's still my church. You're still my pastor, but I can't come every week because you just step on my toes too hard. So I've been going over to this other church most of the time, and then when I need some deep word, I'll come to you. Okay. People want what they want. Not always what's good for them. If you want to find out how mature you are, start seeing how many things that you do that are good for you, that are difficult to do, or how many things that you don't do that you really would like to do, but you don't do it because you know you shouldn't. Let's keep moving. Verse 4 says, you adulterers, wow, exclamation point, you adulterers. He's talking to Christians here, and he's calling them adulterers. All right, now, if you've studied the New Testament, then you've realized that the Bible compares the relationship that Jesus has to the believers to the relationship that a man has to his wife. The Scripture says it's a great mystery, talking about marriage, but that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Jesus is identified as the bridegroom, and we're identified as the bride. The church is called the bride of Christ. So this relationship that we have with God is very similar in many ways to a marriage. It's a covenant relationship. It's a relationship that should be taken seriously. And here, God calls the believers, God through the Apostle James, calls the believers adulterers. Well, if you commit adultery, that means you're doing what? Cheating on your spouse. Um, I don't want to say the wrong word and offend anybody, but doing something with somebody else you shouldn't be doing. Touching on, feeling on, rubbing up on people you shouldn't be. Having intimacy with somebody that you shouldn't be having intimacy with. Being close to somebody you shouldn't be close to. This is spiritual adultery. God says. He says, you're adulterers. And that probably took him aback. Well, what do you mean? And then he goes on to explain, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? See, people don't believe that in this generation. They want to do both. They want to have Christian friends, and they want to have lost friends. They want to have Christian music, and they want to have worldly music. They want to have Christian books, and they want to have worldly books. They want to have Christian TV, and they want to have worldly TV. But the Bible says that if you make yourself a friend with the world, that makes you a what of God? Well, I told you all in a couple services a while back that it, um, 1 John chapter 2, says that if you love the world or the things of the world, that the love of God is not in you because you're an enemy of God. And you should get a T-shirt that says, I'm an enemy of God because I like the world. Or I'm an enemy of God because I like worldly things. Now, people aren't going to do that because nobody wants to admit the truth. That's like eating broccoli over ice cream. It's, it's, not, it's not anybody's first choice. So God does what he does. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, listen, if a father says something to you twice in the same breath, you better understand he's serious about it. If a parent tells a child, I already told you, and I'm telling you, that's, that's coming hard at you. And God wants us to know that if you are buddying up to the world, you're a spiritual adulterer, and you're an enemy of God. Now, I don't really think anybody wants to wear that tag. 
Nobody, nobody claiming love for Jesus really wants to wear all of that. But the truth is the truth anyhow. Verse 5 says, what do you think the Scriptures mean when they say the Spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? The Holy Spirit does not want, here's the deal. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Now, the deep end, the hyper-charismatic end, uh, the, the, the super uh, ultra-Pentecostal end believes that you can get saved and then get the Holy Ghost later in life. There's no truth to that because the book of Romans says if you don't have the Spirit living inside you that you're none of God's. Okay, so when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to take up residence in you. Now, there is more that God can reveal to you through the Holy Ghost. That's a different subject. But when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live inside you. That's what Jesus said when he told his disciples, I'm going away. But when I go away, the Father's going to send the Holy Ghost, and he's going to comfort you. And I'm with you, and he'll be with you too, but he won't only be with you, he'll be inside you. So we carry the Spirit of God with us everywhere we go. And when we carry the Spirit of God with us to our worldly friends, to our worldly conversations, to our worldly places, to our worldly activity, He don't like that. And the Bible says don't grieve the Holy Ghost. Well, how do you grieve the Holy Ghost? Because the Holy Ghost is jealous for God's glory. And the Holy Ghost is desirous of holiness. What's the Holy Spirit's first name? Holy. So when you do, amen, when you do worldly stuff, there's a conflict inside you. You become a contradiction unto yourself when you live the wrong kind of way. Verse 6 says, but, thank God, but he, that should be a capital H, gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. He gives us. Who is he talking to? Christians. He gives us grace to stand against such evil desires. Well, who has these evil desires? Christians. Issues, conflict, evil desires. But the good news is God can give you grace to stand against it. God can give you grace to stand against it, but it doesn't always happen that way. Because as the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Well, if God is speaking this to Christians, this ought to infer to you that there are some Christians that are what? Proud. And some Christians that are what? Humble. That's a choice. And listen, it's not a personality choice. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment choice. Don't think just because people are quiet uh, that they are humble. Don't think just because people, you know, seem always non-confrontational that that makes them humble. They just might be soft. That doesn't mean that they're humble. You see, it's, you, you got to go beyond your personality and make a choice to be humble. Verse 7 explains it further by saying, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's amazing how people mess up Scripture by leaving portions of it out. Um. Pride goes before what? We got half and half. Well, I heard people say a fall, and we got people say destruction. People that said destruction have been in abundant life too long. Not too long, but been there long enough. Because the, the common cliche is pride goes before a fall. That's what you're going to hear. But the, the Bible says pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. 
But the commonality is pride goes before a fall. Why? Because it's in there. And, and, and contextually, pride does go before a fall, but that's not how the verse reads. And the commonality of this verse is usually just quoted, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Because that's what the second sentence says. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, but that's not what the whole verse says. You can't resist the devil being proud. You can't resist the devil in your own strength. You've got to do something before. Say before. You have to humble yourself before God to put yourself in a position to resist the devil. And here's where you can tell how humble you are. It's back to that maturity thing. It's back to that are you, you self-pleasure seeking. It's that whole Adam's family thing. They do what they want to do, say what they want to say, dance how they want to dance, play how they want to play. If you are just about you and seeking your own desires and your own pleasure, then you are not humbling yourself. You are choosing yourself. You humble yourself when you learn how to say no to yourself. And when you humble yourself, this is when God gives you grace to stand against the evil desires inside of you. When you humble yourself, this is when you're able to resist the devil and he will leave you alone. It'd be cool if the devil left you alone. But there's things that have to happen before that. I want to give you, I didn't give you these points as as I went through them, but I told you I want to tell you how to get what you want from God. Well, based on the information that we've seen in these seven verses, the first thing you got to do, the Bible says, is you got to ask God for it. You need to figure out what it is you really want in life. And you need to start asking God for it. If I came to you right now and I said, tell me the one big thing that you really want God to do in your life. Big thing. Listen, if, 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 your, dreams don't, if your dreams don't seem unreasonable, they're not big enough. If, if, if people wouldn't laugh at your dream, if you told it to them, it's not big enough. But if I came and asked you, what is the one thing you really want God to do for you? You need to have something on your mind. It needs to be save one of your children or do, do something like something big, something only God can do. So how do you get what you want from God? First thing, you got to ask God for it. That's right out of our text tonight. Second thing, right out of our text, you got to have the right motives. We saw it's not just about asking. He said you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you have the wrong motive. Don't ask God for a Ferrari. That's not humble. Don't, don't ask God for a 20,000-square-foot house. That's not, I know, preach, I know a preacher, a prominent preacher got billboards all over Jacksonville who carries with him a 28,000-square-foot house sketched on a pad inside his carry bag because he believes God told him he was going to give him that house. Listen, that's not humble. That, that's seeking your own pleasure. I don't believe God ever said that. Um, I, I, I don't see any of the apostles that had that. Jesus didn't have that. Listen, you can't be Christian with a 28,000-square-foot home because Christ didn't have one. Different message. I'm going to keep going. Christian means like Christ. But you've got to have the right motives. How do you know if you have the right motives? Is it just about your pleasure? Is it just something that's going to help you or is it going to bless somebody else? See, because when you get mature, you're concerned about blessing others. You're not just concerned about your, getting your own way. That's a three-year-old game. Third thing you got to do is don't be a friend of the world. Don't be a friend of the world. We have more worldliness in the church now than the church has ever had in this country. I've told y'all consistently that God put us on this planet to go out and take dominion. That's the first thing God said about man and woman when he created them, to go out and take dominion. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the whole earth. Subdue it. 
We're supposed to dominate. We're supposed to go out and be salt and light, Jesus said. We're supposed to flavor and brighten our world for Christ. We're supposed to make an impact on the world. But the problem is churches decided they wanted more members, so they started letting their standards down, and worldly people started coming into the church and feeling good about it. So the world crept into the church, and the world changed the church instead of the church going into the world changing the world. Because the church has become more worldly instead of the world becoming more churchy. We've taken on and accepted the standards of the world. Church has dropped all standards. Used to be if you were a homosexual, you were not working on stage in the church. Because the Bible says that homosexuality is an abomination unto God, and a man should not lie with a man the way he lies with a woman, and a woman should not lay with a woman the way she lies with a man. But because homosexuals got money, well, there's a lot of rich homos out there. Tell them I said it. God doesn't need their money, though. But because homosexuals have money and friends and some talent, people decide, you know what, I know he's gay, but... He sure can sing and play the piano, so we're going to keep him as our worship leader. Well, they do lower the standards. Churches wanted to build big churches. You know why, you know why churches are building bigger churches in America now? Because pastors saw it as an easy way to make more money. Churches used to, you know, start new churches. The church we, we started at Hillcrest Baptist Church was a church plant of Murray Hill Baptist Church. Murray Hill was a tiny little church. But they got, you know, they started growing, and instead of the preacher saying, hmm, we get more people, we build a little bit bigger building, I'll be overseeing a bigger church. That means I'll make more money. I'll explain it to you all later when we got more time of why churches want big crowds and big money instead of planting new churches in other locations or sending money around the world where it can really help somebody. So they lower their standards so anybody will come in. Now, our church welcomes everybody. Drug addicts, homosexuals, whoever. You're welcome to come in, but you're not welcome to stay that way. You got to change. Because the true hallmark of Christianity is a changed life. We got to have higher standards. We got to get away from being a friend of the world. Listen to what First or 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says. <laughs> this ought to bless you. Now we command you, brethren. Does that say command or we recommend? We command you, brethren. We are the apostles. We command you, brethren. And, and just to put a stamp of wake up on it, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walks disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, this is the command of God for Christians, that we... Do what to Christians who aren't walking right? Withdraw ourselves. Now, it's not talking about unsaved people. It's talking about Christians. Well, that's my brother in Christ. I just can't leave him out there. Listen, when the church stopped excommunicating people, when the church stopped putting people out, the, the standards just went all crazy, and everybody just started doing what they wanted to do because there was no fear of church discipline different subject for a different time but the bible says we are commanded who brethren christian folk are commanded in the name of jesus christ to pull back from unspiritual christians get away from them 
they don't mean you're no good. If you're the most spiritual person in your crowd, you need a better crowd. You can't come up hanging around down. Association brings assimilation. You're going to become like what you hang around. You lay down with dogs, you get up with what? Fleas and ticks. Withdraw. Withdraw. The New Living Translation in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received of us. But that's my brother in Christ. Well, who are you more committed to, your brother in Christ or the Word of God? You make yourself a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God and an adulterer spiritually. Listen to what Ephesians 5.11 says. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So we just saw how if you want to be the man, the woman that God wants you to be, you can't hang out with backsliders, Christians who ain't living right. Now this verse is talking about unsaved people. Unsaved people are the unfruitful works of darkness. How much fellowship are you supposed to have with the unfruitful works of darkness? Have no fellowship. Well, how am I supposed to reach him for Christ? You live a life of godliness everywhere you go. They'll see it if they're meant to see it. You ain't got to go play cards with them at their house. They'll see it if they're meant to see it. You don't have to go to lunch with them. Jesus didn't. Well, Jesus hung out with sinners. No, Jesus let sinners watch him. He didn't go hang out with them and, and, and participate in what they were doing because he's the one that inspired the Apostle Paul to write this in the fifth chapter to the Ephesians. Have how much fellowship with them? None. Mm. Well, that's my friend. Well, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. So you get to pick. You'll be a friend of the world. You'll be a friend of God. But you cannot do both. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God says if you come out from among them, them or who? There's us and them. It's unsaved folk. Come out from among them and be separate. Well, what about this broad-minded, all-inclusive? concept what about loving everybody see loving everybody sounds christian but it's not you take that too far and you find yourself hanging out with people god told you not to hang out with because you love them god's love has parameters christianity is not for everybody christianity the bible says is for a small group called a remnant called the elect called the chosen Jesus said everybody won't come. Jesus said that the way to heaven is narrow and there's only a few people on it, but the road to hell is wide, and that's where most people are. But for the ones who call themselves saved, he says come out from among them and separate yourself and don't do what they're doing, and I will receive you. Let's talk about inference for a minute. He said I will receive you if you do all those things. So what happens if you don't come out from among them? God is not going to receive you. You wonder why God feels so distant. You wonder why God feels so far away. You wonder why your prayers don't touch heaven like you wish they did. You wonder why miracles aren't flowing in your life. You wonder why you don't feel any anointing, any power. You wonder why you don't feel supernatural Holy Ghost movement inside you. Because there's no separation from worldly Christians and unsaved people. God has never said hang out with that crowd. He has said separate yourself. 
from that crowd. In the New Living Translation, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, that same verse says, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. If this was preached with a bunch of lost people in the room, they would be offended. Oh, are you too good to hang out with me? No, I'm not too good to hang out with you, but my daddy said don't do it. That's not me saying I'm too good to hang out with you. My dad said don't do it. Now, do I want to be a friend of my dad or a friend of you? I want to obey my dad or I want to choose my pleasure? See, this is what I tell kids all the time. Because immature teenagers, when you tell them to be home at a certain time and don't hang out with that drug dealer on the corner, Immature teenagers, and I've had them in my office tell me, my mom hates me. She just doesn't want me to have any fun. She won't let me hang out with Joey, Johnny, or Billy. Well, why won't she let you hang out with Joey? Well, he got in a little bit of trouble selling meth at school one time, but he's trying to do better. And my mom don't want me hanging out with him because she hates me. She don't want me to have any fun. My dad said I had to be home by midnight. Well, why, why do they want you home by midnight? Because they hate me, and they don't want me to have any fun. No, it's not because they hate you and they don't want you to have any fun. Richard Pryor taught the world live on Sunset Strip in 1975 when he, when he said in his comedy act, so we were standing on the corner waiting on 1130. Why are you waiting on 1130? Because we're going to tear it up at 1130. Don't nothing happen before 1130. You ain't even got to come out your house before 1130. Why? Because the freaks come out at night. Nothing good happening past midnight. Oh, they hate me and they don't want me to have any fun. No, they want you behind safe and at home because they're trying to help you and keep you straight, keep you alive. God is not telling us, well, separate yourself from them because he hates you and don't want you to have friends. Trying to help you, keep you straight so he can receive you. Don't touch their filthy things. Lost people, if they saw that, they'd be offended. Well, who are you to call my stuff filthy? I'm just telling you what God said. I'm just telling you what God said. And the scripture says that he will place a curse on those who refuse to draw a difference between the clean and the unclean. And the church has refused to draw a difference between the clean and the unclean. The average believer never draws a difference between right and wrong. And that's why the average believer doesn't have any power with God. You got to ask God for it. You got to have the right motive. You cannot be a friend of the world. You cannot be a friend of unsaved people. Fourth thing you got to do, you got to humble yourself got to humble yourself you have to choose God's way over your way we've had demonstrations here in church we had a demonstration here in church one night my son almost crawled under the pew because he knew what was going to happen we had somebody sitting over here who we have a testimony time and they got a little too carried away and they started an expressive view that was not biblically accurate and I said all right well let's get back into the lesson and move on and she said no I'm not finished yet Anybody in here remember that? My son started crawling under the bench. And I said, well, we need to get back into the lesson. Well, I, I, I've got more to say. I said, no, not tonight. She said, oh, no, you need to hear this. And I said, ma'am, now's a good teaching moment. You got a chance right now to humble yourself or to get humbled. Because I'm the man with the microphone in charge right now. See, when you humble yourself, sometimes that means bite your tongue. 
Sometimes that means do what somebody else says. Sometimes that means shut your mouth and fall in line. See, that's why some people don't do, do good in the military. Because they, they, don't, they don't know how to shut up and do what they're told. Can you do what you're told? Or are you that type? Well, who are you to tell me anything? Well, anybody ought to be able to read the Word of God to you. Anybody ought to be able to tell you what the book says. And if the book says it, then you've got to make a decision on it. You've got to humble yourself. can't always be about you. Well, when does it be about me? Never. Well, I don't want that. I want the, I want the prosperity gospel. We'll go to a different church. I'm going to preach the truth because I've got to stand before God and give an account for the words I say. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God wants you to have a Cadillac and a Mercedes and a big house on the river because I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, and all that sounds worldly to me anyway. And if God gave you a Cadillac and a Mercedes and a big house on the river, you ought to sell it and give the money to the poor because that's what Jesus would do. <laughs> you can't sell that religion. People are like, I'm leaving this church. I ain't trying to be poor. I'm trying to come up. I want to go to one of them churches. You might be the janitor now, but God about to raise you up. You might be struggling now, but God got your miracle. Everybody can't be the CEO, and everybody can't live on the river. But anybody who's willing to can humble themselves. The Bible says you humble yourself, God will lift you up. How about that? You don't have to make your case. You don't have to make your way. You don't have to build your reputation. The Bible says Jesus made himself of no reputation. And when he was riled against, he didn't open his mouth and say nothing back. He wasn't trying to defend himself. He wasn't trying to build his reputation. And now he's the most famous man that ever lived. See how that works? He was the ultimate self-humbler. Philippians 2.5 talks about that. He humbled himself and became obedient. He, he took on the form of a servant. He was the ultimate self-humbler. So he was the ultimate one exalted. Because he humbled himself more than anyone who ever lived, God exalted him higher than anyone who ever lived. That's the way it works. And here's the choice. I've told you before. you got to get this. If you're saved, you will be humbled. But you get the choice how it happens. If you're saved, you will be humbled because God's a good father. He ain't going to let you foolish go on forever. He will jerk a knot in your neck. You get the choice of how you get humbled. Will you humble yourself, which brings exaltation from God, or will you humiliate yourself by being exposed by God? You get the choice. Humble yourself or be humble. One is better than the other. You figure it out. The fifth thing you got to do, you got to resist the devil. You have to resist the devil. Now, this word devil here is not talking about some dude in a red coat with horns out of his head carrying a pitchfork. It's not even talking about the the angel who at one time fell from heaven and took a third of the angelic host with him it's talking about the demonic realm and the entire system okay because there's only one devil but it's talking about resisting this entire evil that surrounds us 
you got to resist wrong. You got to resist wrong. You got to resist the thing that will prevent you from being who God wants you to be. Does that sound easy? Listen, if it's easy, anybody do it. People aren't doing it. Why? Because we want what we want. And we don't just want what we want. We want it now. God said that you got to ask him. You want God to do something in your life, you need to start asking him. Ask more. Don't get to heaven and find out you could have had more if you'd asked for more. Don't, have, don't let that happen. My kids ask me every week, Dad, can we go to Disney World? Every week. Dad, can we go to Disney World? I'm like, no, we just went last week. Well, I'm just asking, just in case. My kids ask me every Wednesday night, Dad, can we stop and get a Mountain Dew? And I tell them no every Wednesday night. And they've been asking me that not at, about once every five months. We stop tonight. I've told them no uh, probably 40 weeks in a row. They still ask tonight because they know sometimes we have stopped at that big kangaroo on 103rd, and I let them go in and get a drink. So they ask, Dad, can we get, stop and get a Mountain Dew? And I usually tell them, son, we don't have time to stop and get a drink. I'm on my way to church. Now, just you're about to eat in youth. And they know they're about to eat in youth. They get Coke up there. See? Yeah. Like you're about to go eat in youth. You don't need me to stop and get you. Dad, can we stop and get a Mountain Dew? Sure. So we pull in tonight. They got it because they asked. And they kept asking, and they kept asking, and they kept asking. Don't not get. The King James says, you have not because you ask not. Don't let that be your T-shirt. I got nothing because I ain't asked God for nothing. I'm broke because I'm too proud to ask. Ain't it? It's real. Don't let that be your T-shirt. I got nothing, but I ain't going to ask. Ask God, but ask God with the right motives. If you're asking for, for just stuff, just to bless you, that's never going to work. That's not Christianity. God is not interested in blessing me for me. God wants to bless me so I can be a blessing to somebody else. That's what God's interested in. God's interested in a pay-it-forward system. God's interested in blessing you so you can be a blessing. If you just want to take your blessing and hoard it to yourself and never share it with anybody, you're not going to have a lot. You can't have the wrong motives. Number three, you can't be a friend of the world. I mean, you can be. But if you are, you're not going to be blessed. You're not going to get what you want from God. You've got to humble yourself and you've got to resist the devil. Read the book of James this week. Put your big boy pants on. Read the book of James. Put your big girl pants on. Read the book of James. Are we going to get it all right? Anybody believe we're going to get it all right? We're not. Can we do better? We can do better. And that needs to be your goal. I don't ever look at my kids and expect them to get it all right. I tell them all the time, you better do better. You can do, I know you can do better. See, I've never been one of those parents. Some of y'all just awesome. I've never been that guy. I've never told my kids they have to get all A's. My kids come home with, with, with all A's and B's. I'm cool. You making her get all A's, Stacy? 
You want her to get all A's, right? I know you're that, I know you're that dad. You want all A's. I've never, I've never told my kids you have to make all A's. But I have told them you got to do your best. And they start bringing home grades that I know are not their best, and then that's not acceptable. We are not going to get it all right. We're just not. We're going to mess up. But God gives grace to the humble. We're not going to get it all right. But where sin abounds, guess what happens? Grace abounds. Not for wicked people, but for people who truly love God but just aren't perfect yet. Don't beat yourself up for not being perfect. Beat yourself up for not willing to try. You say, well, I should beat myself up? That's the last thing I'm going to tell you. I'm going to let you go. The person that we owe the most to for theology in the world, outside people's names in the Bible. Some people would say St. Augustine because most of our theology comes from an, uh, an Augustinian hermeneutic. But the big split that brought about proper theology was launched forth by a man named Martin Luther. And we owe so much about right theology. He started the Reformation, which allowed us to have Bibles and read the Bible. And his mandate was the Bible alone. You don't need... You don't need the, the, the doctrines of the church. You need what the Bible says. Sola Scriptura. And Martin Luther was a monk. And Martin Luther was famous <laughs> for taking a whip and beating himself unconscious. Because he was trying to drive the bad thoughts out of his mind. Now, I'm not saying get a whip. And beat yourself unconscious. When I say don't beat yourself up for not being perfect, beat yourself up for not being willing to try, I'm not saying literally go all Martin Luther on me. We're not that deep. We don't live in monasteries in the mountains. We're not locked in caves reading the Bible all day long. But you ought to have a desire to try. And this, as a spiritual father, as the overseer of this ministry, I want to see the people in this ministry have a desire to say, I want to do better. That's all. Just do a little better today than you did yesterday. Do a little more right and a little less wrong every day. And soon, you're going to be on a good track. Take some bad off your plate and put some good on it. And soon, you're going to have a good plate. God is patient, God is loving, God is gentle, He is kind, He is long-suffering with us. He does not throw us away, He never throws out the baby with the bath water, no matter how dirty the water is, He just keeps cleaning us up, and cleaning us up, and giving us grace. But we have a part to play in this thing. Try to do better this week. Try to read more Bible than this week than you read last week. It's a great place to start. Try to say more prayers this week than you did last week. That's a great place to start. Try to invest more in your own spirituality this week than you did last week. And if you keep doing that, you're going to be in a good place in your life.
and you're going to get from God what you want because that's how you do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Help us, God, to do better this week than we did last week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.